I V M. Hello and welcome. This is Govind Rajathiraj presenting to you the latest segment of Business Dot Next on Bloomberg Quint. My guest is Kevin Freiberg, the author of Nuts, worldwide bestseller on Southwest Airlines, the crazy recipe for business and personal success. That was 20 years ago. I interviewed Kevin Freiberg about 17 years ago, and a lot has changed. Uh, we've had the entire internet, social media revolution since then, but Southwest Airlines has pretty much remained as is, continues to be profitable, continues to perform and grow. So let's find out how from Kevin Freiberg. Kevin, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Govan. Great to be here. So tell us about Southwest as you look back and, you know, you draw a line that begins many, many decades ago and uh, a line that continues to move upwards. So what's the secret and what are are the sort of top line takeaways today? Well, first of all, we wrote that book 20 years ago and they continue to be an extraordinary and amazing uh, company certainly here in the U.S., but uh, around the globe. Uh, I don't know a country around the globe that hasn't uh, at least been aware of Southwest or had airlines within their country try to emulate the model of Southwest Airlines. So it's, a, it's an extraordinary case study, Govin, and, and continues to be. I don't know if you know this or not, but they are celebrating 46 consecutive years of profitability in an industry that is typically skated on very, very thin ice. And so I think if you, you know, to have that kind of success over 46 years uh, really is something very, very special. I think, you know, one of the high lines in terms of the secret sauce of their success is their culture. They've worked on it since the very get-go and, uh, They have created a culture where people think and act like entrepreneurs. They've created a culture that is fun-loving. And uh, we can dive into this if if it's interesting to you or your listeners. But uh, I think in the very early days, their struggles shaped their culture. Even the culture that they have 46 years later was shaped in in the early, very early challenges of getting the airline in the air. Right. And and I'm going to come to that. You know, the and the reason I'm, this is pretty exciting is because in India, we have a, a vibrant airline industry, which is now and mostly owned by the private sector. But at the, at the time I spoke to you last, uh, the private sector was still young and uh, the state-owned airline was still large. That's, of course, changed today. But the other thing that's happened is because of competition and because of, uh, let's say, difficult market conditions, including wildly fluctuating oil prices, many airlines have found it very difficult to hang on. And even at this point, as I speak to you, uh, one of the large Indian airlines, uh, not a Southwest, uh, I mean, it's it's not built like Southwest, but is uh, almost on the verge of going under and is is, uh, uh, staring at a huge wall of debt. So uh, so the, the question is, you know, Oil prices hit all airline companies across the world, and uh, and and many of them, as we can see, you know, their fortunes, their very existence seems to be enslaved to oil prices and and factors such as that. So, how is it that Southwest has managed to get around that? 
Well, one of the things Herb Kelleher taught me very early on, uh, which I think is brilliant for any business, he said, we manage in the good times to protect our business and to protect people's jobs in the bad times. What does that mean? Well, that means when they're turning a profit and everything is, is wonderful, they're constantly looking at ways to cut costs. They're constantly looking over the horizon and saying, okay, we're healthy financially today. How should we be hedging fuel prices? Should we, and, and you know, I'm not enough of an expert in, in fuel hedging, but, but they're constantly thinking over the horizon during the good times of, okay, what should we be doing now to prepare for those bad times? And in many cases, you know, I, you know, probably in four or five major cases over the last 50 years, uh, they have bought fuel futures, right, at a certain price today so that when those barrels of oil go up, they're not stuck with the high prices tomorrow. And that's thinking futuristically, but it's also Herb's mantra of we manage in the good times to protect the business in the bad times. Um, you know, uh, you talked about culture in the beginning as well. Now, for a 40-year-old organization uh, where the founder is no longer active, uh, how is it that you or a company maintains that culture so consistently over such a long period of time? Well, you make it a priority. And I say that, that, that might seem sort of simplistic, but a lot of companies give lip service to culture but they don't really work on it all that hard. It's not truly a priority when it comes to uh, capital expenditures, when it comes to the way the CEO or managing director spends their time and where they spend their time. Uh, Southwest has said it is a priority. It is a full-blown priority for us. And, um, and so you work at it every single day. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, when a new generation of employee or a new CEO comes in, uh, that things don't change, right? Gary Kelly came in after Herb Kelleher and has done a marvelous job, right? Gary Kelly is operating in, a, in an environment that's radically different from the one that Herb uh, operated in. You said it at the beginning of this podcast. We didn't even have the, the Internet was just coming in in 1995, 1996, when we wrote Nuts. So Herb never had to deal with that. Gary has. And so I think what's happened is Gary has put uh, systems and structures in place that were needed if you're going to take an airline from 30,000 employees to 50,000 employees and a fleet from 300 aircraft to 700 aircraft. Uh, and those are systems and structures that needed to be put in place. But the one thing Gary recognizes and never let go of was how important the culture is and how necessary it is to work on that every single day. Right. And uh, if, if I were to put it so bluntly, does culture have a cost? And how do companies like Southwest or others for that matter, you know, factor that in, particularly if you're a low-cost airline where you're fighting to keep costs down in any case? Yeah, clearly culture has a cost, right? Because you're spending time on it and time is money, whether it's the CEO's time or, you know, for example, Southwest has a, a culture committee. Uh, it meets frequently. It's made up of all levels and represented by, you know, the majority of departments across the, across the airline. And that culture committee is, is very active. They get out 
and they, they do things in the various facilities. Uh, you know, I'll give you an example. Uh, during Christmas time now, well, that culture committee will pack up a bunch of employees. But here's the interesting thing, Govan. They're volunteer employees. They're not being paid to do overtime. And they'll go out to various stations like uh, Los Angeles International Airport or, or Atlanta or somewhere where they just know it's terribly busy. And those employees will descend upon that station and they will volunteer their time to take the pressure off the, you know, the employees that are working in that part of the, in part of the uh, airline. That's culture, right? Culture isn't just, you know, cheap plastic crap that people get. You know, hey, here's a coffee mug that has a cool saying on it. Put it on your desk. That's culture. I mean, that is culture, but that's not the kind of culture that you're talking about when you say, boy, to pack up people and send them to Atlanta or L.A. or wherever to help take the pressure off, that costs money. But what you don't realize, what many people don't realize is the long-term payoff of that is goodwill. It's an engaged employee. It's an employee that brings their discretionary passion, energy, and talent to the game every day. And by the way, Let's tell your listeners, this is in an 86% unionized environment. Right. So if you were to look at, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've observed many, many companies, airlines trying to emulate the Southwest culture in their pursuit for success. What are the things that people do manage to emulate and where do they fail the most? Well, of course, it's easy to emulate their business model. Their business model is not rocket science, right? They fly one kind of airplane, the Boeing 737. They fly different versions of that particular model. But uh, that's easy to emulate. What isn't easy to emulate is a pilot who is in the cockpit that says, you know what, I've been trained not only to fly this airplane, but I've been trained that this is my cost center. This is my office. And so you get a young pilot that gets into the cockpit with a senior captain, and that senior captain starts to educate that young first officer and says, you know, in this airline, we're entrepreneurial. In this airline, you're never going to have enough resources to do what we're going to ask you to do, but that's why we hired you, because you're creative. And so if you want to cut costs, here's one of the ways we do it. We can fly at this vector versus that vector. We can fly in this direction and this altitude versus that direction and that altitude. And if we fly at the right vector and the right altitude, we can reduce our fuel burn rate by $7 between San Diego and Phoenix, which is a 50-minute flight. Now, if you're a first officer listening to that, right, what are you going to say to yourself? You're not going to say it to the captain, but what are you going to say to yourself? You're going to say, are you kidding me? We're a $17 billion airline, and you want to talk about $7 worth of cost savings? Really? <laughs> and the chief pilot is going to say, what? Yeah, but think about it. We fly over 3,000 flights a day. If everyone dropped their fuel burn by 7 bucks." on every flight if it was safe and appropriate to do so. That's $21,000 a day. That's $7.5 million a year. And we're just talking about one thing the pilots have done. My point in sharing that story with you, Govind, is I can go out and buy 737s and say that's their business model. So let's just operate one kind of airline. Culture is what happens in that cockpit. Culture is training that pilot to think 
and act like an owner of the business. Now, what if you extrapolate that to gate agents, to the ground crew, to the reservations people, to the, to the IT people, and everybody else across the organization? If they're thinking like that, think of the costs that get managed out of the business. Think of the innovations that come into the business. And everybody else wants to talk about hedging fuel prices. Well, that's important. But man, I can emulate that. I can emulate buying 737s. What I can't emulate is that that piece of the culture. I hope that makes sense. Right. So what what are the one or two really big challenges Southwest has faced in its lifetime uh, in, in and, and in the in the period that you've watched it closely? And how has it overcome them? Well, certainly... Um, the early days were an incredible, I, I think of sort of three phases. I think of the early days, I think of 9-11, and then I think of the current complexity of culture that they operate in. The early days, uh, as you know from our previous conversation, uh, Southwest had 143 judicial and administrative proceedings all the way to the United States Supreme Court before they really got in the air. And the reason for that is because three major carriers, Brand of Continental and Texas International, colluded, conspired to keep this little upstart from getting in the air. The reason I tell you that is because those early days bred a warrior spirit. And so these guys are fiercely competitive. They are fun-loving. They talk about love. They care about each other, but they are fiercely competitive. That comes from those early days of just fighting for survival. Now race forward to 9-11. As you know, 9-11 devastated our airline industry, our transportation industry, and our, and our country. You know who the first airline to fly was after 9-11? It was Southwest. And Southwest ran a couple of commercials during uh, when the FAA grounded our uh, the airline industry, Southwest ran a bunch of commercials and said to the American people, we are going to survive this, we are going to get through this, and we are going to come back and we are going to serve you. And you know what we needed in 9-11? We needed hope. We needed some businesses to say, we are not going to be taken out by this. We are not going to let this take us down. Race forward to the current environment that we're operating in. And I think Southwest has had this huge challenge of how do we live in a world where everything is transparent, where everyone knows everything and social media plays such a critical role in the way we brand our organization and the way we uh, treat our customers. And I'd love to give you just a very quick story about social media because I think it, it speaks to the times. Southwest had a very famous person on, uh, on a flight. His name was Bill Armstrong. He's the lead singer for a very famous band in the U.S. called a punk band. Well, Bill got on the airplane and his pants were too far down. You know, part of his derriere was showing. And it offended one of the customers. And so the flight attendant came and said, uh, Sir, I'm sorry, but you need to pull your pants up because it's bothering the passengers, right? And he didn't want to play, right? And so the flight attendant got the first officer and they escorted him off the plane. Now, this guy has a following of millions of people. 
And as he's being escorted off the plane, he texts, Southwest just effing threw me off the airplane. Well, Southwest has a team that monitors social media. And they picked up on this in real time. And by the time was off the plane and in the gate area, they had contacted his manager and resolved the situation and shut it down before it became this big, big, I mean, it still was a big story, but they shut it down before it became this big thing that they couldn't control. That's leveraging the times. That's leveraging technology. And that's been a challenge for them, but they've done it pretty well. Right. So, you know, the inevitable question is, uh, and I again think of the Indian airline environment and airlines who are trying to break through, break out, do better. Can can people change or organizations change culture midway? I, I, I don't mean midway in the sense that they're halfway through their life cycle, but, you know, you've been in, you've been and you've existed in a certain way all these years or decades, but now you realize that you have to change, you have to bring in more culture, you have to connect with your own people and all the good things that great companies like Southwest have done. But can you do it today? I think the answer is yes, but it takes great courage, great determination, and great perseverance. And the reason I tell you that is because culture of any kind is designed to protect itself. You and I have had an offline conversation where I've told you that I'm just so impressed with, you know, I've made 11 trips to India. I love India. India is a country of dichotomy. So you've got you can walk outside the Taj Hotel and, you know, just down the street, you have incredible poverty. And, and your response to me was, unfortunately, I think we've kind of grown accustomed to those dichotomies. And you didn't say this, but what I heard you say was, you know, culture is designed to protect itself. Culture, you know, culture reinforces itself, including, a, you know, a societal culture. And so I think you can change it in an organization, but I think it takes uh, tremendous fortitude. And the reason I say that is because if you look at what Lou Gerstner did with IBM, uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago, IBM was an equipment company. It started with typewriters and it went to computers. The IBM of today doesn't look anything like the IBM that I grew up with. Today, IBM is a, is a consulting business. Um, and so it radically changed. But, you know, my hat's off to Lou Gerstner because I think it took incredible courage to shake it up and, and change it and work at it every day. Right. Uh, Kevin, we're coming to the end of our conversation. Uh, one more question. You've written a book called Cause, a Business Strategy for Standing Out in a Sea of Sameness. So what does that really mean and how does it apply to Southwest? Yeah, I'm very passionate about that subject. Um, my feeling today is that uh, everyone comes to work, and what's the difference between engagement and not engagement? You know, Gallup has been doing these surveys, Govan, for now 15 years at least on engagement, and the statistics have really not changed much. 75% uh, of the workforce around the world is either actively disengaged or disengaged. And that's the way it was when they started the survey 15 years ago. So we haven't cracked the code. 
I think one of the reasons we haven't cracked the code is because we haven't invited people to bring their best to work. And, that, and what I mean by that is, give me an opportunity. If I work for you, give me an opportunity to change the world. Invite me to come in and fight for a cause that's noble and heroic and worth fighting for. Everybody wants to talk about change today. We need to change our employees. We need to change our business model. We need to change our broken processes. What we're saying is give me something worth changing for. Give me a cause to fight. And I will change for you. I will innovate. I'll bring my creative best to the workplace. How that applies to Southwest Airlines is they said many years ago, they said, we're in the business of freedom. That is giving people the freedom to go see and do things that they couldn't afford to do before Southwest came into the market because Southwest lowers fares by 30 to 50% across the board. So what does that look like very specifically? It's the, it's the budding entrepreneur in Northern California that wants to expand her business into Southern California or Arizona or Colorado can now afford to fly and do that. That's the business of freedom. It's the little boy or little girl from a broken home where mom lives in one part of the country and dad lives in another part of the country who can now fly back and forth between mom and dad and be raised by both parents. Why? Because Southwest made it affordable to do that, and that's the business of freedom. I had a, I'll tell you this very quickly because I know we're running out of time. I had a, a ramp agent tell me many years ago, he said, Kevin, when I get on the headsets, you know, they put the earphones on and plug into the nose of the plane as they're pushing the airplane away from the gate. He said, if I get on those headsets just a minute late, that plane gets into the runway five minutes late. It gets to the end of the runway ten minutes late. You've got to have a mile of airspace between planes. It gets airborne, you know, eight or ten minutes late. And by the time it gets to the next city, it's maybe running 15 minutes late. If you do that over... 11 flights that could compound to an hour and a half delay at the end of the day. But with a fleet the size of ours, he said, what's going to happen? That means we got to run 25 more airplanes in our system just to make the system work, just to keep the schedule. Where's that going to come from? It's going to come and raise ticket prices. And this kid was like 20 something years old. And he looked at me and he said, that is an affront to the business of freedom. And I thought, wow, a 20-year-old something, right, probably doesn't have more than a college, and might not even have a college education, gets the cause for which they fight. And Govan, here's the thing. If you define the business as a cause, what follows is a movement. And people opt into movements. And I don't know about you, but, you know, when I think about my business, I want it to be a movement. I want to change the world with the books we write and the things we talk about and the clients we consult to. I want to move the needle. I want to, I want to do something that has significance. And I don't think I'm any different from any employee that works in India or any other company around the world. So that's, the, that's where cause comes from. Thank you very much, Kevin, for speaking uh, with me and sharing your thoughts on Southwest and its amazing strategy of uh, really growth and survival and uh, thrive and its ability to thrive in all kinds of environments and situations over many, many decades. Thank you so much. 
You're welcome, Govin. Thank you. Don't forget to tune in on BloombergQuint.com or IBM Podcast app for the latest edition of Business.Next podcast every week. Family businesses get a bad rap. At one time, they were looked down on for getting rich, for being too ambitious. Today, they're still looked down on, but for not being ambitious enough. Not agile enough, not modern enough, too traditional in their mindset. The biggest brands and business houses in the country started out as humble family businesses. It's the way India has done business. Join Sonu Basin in conversation with stalwarts of Indian family businesses on the Inheritors podcast series by Bloomberg Quint. Discuss the highs and lows, the needs and pressure points of building a business legacy that spans generation. Look, up in the internet, it's a meme. No, it's a cat video. No, it's the Geek Fruit Podcast. That's right. We interrupt this riveting broadcast to tell you about our show, The Geek Fruit Podcast, where Tejas, Dinkar, and I, Jishnu, talk about everything in pop culture, including DC, Marvel, Star Wars, Netflix, and everything in between. You know how your friends hate it when you ramble about some nerdy crap and you just want somebody to listen to you? Well, sorry, there's nothing we can do about that, but come listen to us ramble and it'll almost be like the real thing. Kind of. Listen to new episodes of the Geek Fruit Podcast every Monday and the Geek Fruit Bulletin every Thursday on iTunes, Google Podcasts, the IVM app, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Happy listening, you nerds.